Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you again this week. And as always, our leading professional in the entertaining industry and overall knowledge base, Keith Rao is with us. Keith, welcome to Hollywood Breaks once again. Thank you, Tim. Great to be here <laughs> as always. Don't you love, I'm going to start making up these titles for you. We're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, keep it up. Go. Keep it up. <laughs> My ego needs a little stroking every now and then, you know? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna warn people now that we're recording this a little bit later than we usually do. So when Keith is drinking out of a whiskey glass, you know that it's not morning. Hey, up. I'm only taking the advice of our previous guest, Cameron Delavu, who was like, you know what, you guys should do like a cocktail hour, and so I'm doing a cocktail. Good morning hour. up, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm drinking out of my uh, Rev Think mug, so we're uh, you know I'm still looking like I'm doing coffee hour, but you're uh, yeah. Well, I have a um, motion bowler. I don't know if you guys can see this. Probably yep. not. It says Motion on it, which is a vendor that I used quite a bit when I was at Fox. So um, here's to you, Motion. Keep up the good work. That's it. And mm -hmm. send us more swag so we can drink more drinks. Yeah, more swag. <laughs> more swag. <clears throat> okay, a lot to get to this week. Uh, Disney Investor Day was really big. I, I took some notes. I'm sure you took some notes. We got a lot. And I know you read all the trades afterwards. So we got some of that insider stuff. And then later on, I want to talk to you more about what this, what's happening with all these studios, because I feel like um, the players are being played out. Clearly, the stuff that came out from Warner this week was pretty big. But uh, Universal seems to be holding on the end, and we can ask some big tech questions later yeah. on of who's going to win this game. But before, of course, we get started, over your right shoulder there, Keith, is the Predators movie poster. Uh, yeah, right there. <laughs> tell us, who's the artist on this one? Um, so this is actually, um, so this is from Predators. This was a uh, movie that I think was, excuse me, released about, uh, I can't remember the exact year. Uh, this was the Robert Rodriguez version. Um, and this is actually a design from his Troublemaker Studios. Um, oh, yeah. That he repurposed as a, uh, as a uh, one sheet, a teaser one sheet. And um, they're out and, of Austin, right? The, yeah, so yeah, they're right out of Austin, which is a big booming um, uh, entertainment town. Um, so... Yeah, this was the exclusive version for this uh, limited edition. For uh, we, I did a screening at South by Southwest, obviously. That makes sense because it's in Austin. Um, and this was one of the um, the design that we used for that for that particular event. So I think it's pretty cool, even appropriate to have him doing that poster at a South by Southwest. It's like yeah, Austin exactly. all the time kind of thing going on. Yeah. So very cool. Yep, yep, yep. Um, as always, keeping us keeping them keep the artists uh, in the front of mind, and the people behind the scenes are doing the work. It's always yep. good. Marketing is a hard job and the support wouldn't, uh, the work wouldn't happen without the support so the people. So uh, mm -hmm. we're gonna keep on promoting people. And if you really want your movie poster seen behind Keith, you're gonna have to wait in line. He has a lot. And and Yeah, the, I have a lot, but you know, if you wanna send me one, please do, I'm happy to feature <laughs> it. You can direct message Keith right now and send him your movie poster. We'll put it out there. I'll even take a fan poster, if, you know, or a fan made poster. And you know, those are always cool to display too. All right, here we go, ready? Yep. Uh, Disney totally rocked the house this week. Investor Day. Can you believe this number? 86.8 million subscribers. And Same. it's not even a year older yet, right? It's a little over a year, 13 months. And that was their target, original target for, I think, 80 to 90 million was their target for 2024. <laughs> and they're already there in yeah. 13 months. I mean, yeah. it's, it's quite an achievement, I have to say. Um, it really is. And... Um, the event itself was very much, uh, it did not feel like a typical investor. I mean, I don't watch a lot of these, but it just didn't feel like a typical investor presentation. It was very content heavy. 
it felt a lot like a cinema con to me, which is where the studios present all their stuff to the exhibitors, their upcoming product. And that's what it felt like to me. It just felt like a giant sort of like, this is everything that we've got coming out in the next year, two years of stuff that's in development. They brought out every sort of uh, production head to present. Um, I will say the length, it was a little long, four hours is quite hefty. And for anyone to sit for that amount of time is quite intense. Um, they may want to contemplate maybe splitting it up or trim it down, but I know they had a lot to present. Um, it you know, took me like an Apple presentation, like sometimes it did those a little bit, yeah, pretty long. And uh, I think the presentation quality, that kind of stuff, I think that they were, I wouldn't say copycatting Apple, but they're obviously trying to play the same game that Apple is trying to play and the investor trying to get investors recognition. And clearly, Wall Street loved it. Um, oh, Wall Street boomed. Yeah, right I mean, their stock's the highest, I think it's. Been, ever been almost um you know they've lost billions of dollars in the last year and it's the stock just keeps going up because they're just i think they are the the investors are wholly on board for what disney strategy moving forward yeah and we even um, got some of the insight into some of that strategy um, we know that they're looking for i mean they had to blow away their old um ideas of what 2024 would look like now they're looking for 300 to 350 million people on all of their platforms which yep. um is going that includes hulu obviously broadcast disney plus ESPN plus yeah. ESPN yeah. plus yeah so they're uh grouping it all together but that's really only just three times what disney plus is now mm. or near around three to plans so try and get the other couple platforms to, to meet the same numbers and yeah. obviously for disney plus and uh, they're willing to step up and even um, invest uh, just a couple billion dollars, not too many, eight, eight to just, nine billion just a, dollars. Just a little bit like, of money, just a little bit of money in the content. I feel yeah, like I mean, the uh, U.S. economy out of the debt with the, what Disney is paying for. If we just all stop <laughs> demanding TV shows, we can uh, recover our economy with it's this. Just, it's, it's amazing the amount of money they are planning to put forward in the next three or four years. I mean, it's like 10 Star Wars shows or Marvel shows or something like that over the course of the next three or four years. They're trying to have something new on the platform like every month, I think was what they said. And might even be more than that. Um, they are wholly 100% in for the D2C, the direct to consumer um, branch. And that's 100% what they're focusing on. Um, it was very interesting how little they talked about theatrical. <laughs> Yeah. Understandably so, given the market right now. But even when Kevin Feige came out to present, you know, his Marvel stuff, which also a lot of it looked great. And me being a Marvel geek and comic book geek growing up, a lot of it was really quite, uh, I'm really excited about a lot of it. Um, he really only subtly mentioned that Black Widow will be in theaters in May. And I think that's overly optimistic, personally. Um, you know, as we, most people know, the vaccine was approved yesterday. So they're going to start rolling it out, but the way the schedule's rolling out, it doesn't look like it will be available to the general public until April or May. Yeah. Um, and that's assuming there's no supply chain issues or anything like that. So I think it's I think it's optimistic to think that people are going to ready to go back to theaters in May, but um, clearly it signals that they believe they still look at theatrical as an option, but to them the future is streaming. That's where they feel like their investment is or, best. Or at least their present future. The present future. I have some theories. And I'm going to ask you, actually, ask you about this in a little bit. But I have some theories of what Disney might do as they get into exhibitor issues. They're going to do something mm. different than what Universal is doing. Um, 
And uh, I think that, you know, trying to play, take a playbook out of um, what Warner did and try and announce everything's just going to OTT. I think that created some mess for Warner brothers. Um, but let me, I, let me pull a quote here. Um, I, I believe that this, uh, the, I was watching the, the segment on FX uh, platform, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, what they mentioned was, is that with, kind of cleaning up Hulu, really putting FX on Hulu as kind of the primary source for that. They doubled the viewership of FX viewers by 120%. Mm -hmm. so they have more viewership on Hulu than they do on broadcast right now. Uh, one, I just point out like, that's a pretty amazing little shift right there in that they could actually pull out of all broadcast, traditional broadcast and have just as many viewers or more viewers now on Hulu. Yep. And clearly if they pulled out and maybe this is part of the plan or part of the future revelation that they, if they pull off a broadcast, even more people go to Hulu and they own all of those owners. They don't have to pay any, they're not getting seconds from a, from a cable company on mm -hmm. subscribers. They're getting all the money up front. Yep. Um, so a huge move there. I th thought that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, I believe it was John Landgraf who did the presentation for FX, who's been there for a long time, was there pre-merger with Disney and has always sort of been the guy who seems to be a, a, a one step ahead of everybody else in terms of where the business is going, where he feels the, the industry is going. He was the first one to really talk about sort of the overflow and of content and how much, how there is a possibility of there just being too much out there. Um, and he's also really responsible for building the FX brand. Um, and you know, the, the idea of FX being sort of the cabler, that is just fearless, similar to HBO, where HBO sort of shapes these very prestige adult dramas. Um, John Landgraf is very much responsible for sort of bringing this FX and giving it sort of its, its reputation that it currently has. And you're right. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are cord cutters. Um, and the one that they universally all have is Hulu, yeah. because you can get a lot of network, other network stuff on Hulu that you can't necessarily get um, on a Netflix or what have you. So it definitely seems to me that FX made a smart move or, you know, Disney um, made a smart move pushing FX on there because FX did have its own SPOD um, before that called FX Plus, which was sort of like a way it's sort of you'd get episodes before they premiered on cable. And but now they sort of shifted over to Hulu and it, uh, clearly it brought a lot of the audience with them. So it seems to be a very effective strategy and may sort of light the path for them in, in the years ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> to me, like it's a, it's a, a smart idea to just recognize like, Oh, we can actually create a platform and multiple brands can be living on that one platform. They mm -hmm. did talk about the platform or I'm sorry, brand confusion that was taking place on traditional broadcasts because they were swapping things and placement of, of shows weren't always consistent and now they can be consistent. Everyone can find it in one place. They're really focusing mm -hmm. on that. What I like about a lot of this conversation is for the content makers out there, right? So yeah. we know that content making has been a struggle for the last year, year and a half, but really looking at the 14 billion to 16 billion Disney's gonna put in the marketplace, we know the competitors have to meet their, their piece of it. Um, and, that, and John also said this, he said, um, I'm gonna try to get this right. It's something like today's, today's new content is tomorrow's perpetual library. And this mm -hmm. thought of like, that's, that's clearly part of the strategy that Disney's going for, or at least a, a currently recognizing, is that the, the group with the biggest libraries can have their greatest return in the future. That way, that way the viewer's dollar has the deepest pockets. 
Um, and I think, yeah, and I think it's also a recognition overall that because what's driving a lot of the subs for Disney right now is sort of that draw to the library. The old school titles, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, my kids watched Frozen 2, Frozen, Frozen 2. They watched Alice in Wonderland last week. A lot of those classic titles are what really are driving a lot of subs. And they realize that that's, that's great that it's there, but they're going to need to sustain it with something. And it can't just be the Mandalorian. And I think they're recognizing that they have to really ramp it up. Um, I think the, you know, the pandemic has sort of pushed a lot of people to the streamers before you know, the natural progression of things. Um, obviously, Hamilton helped a lot. I think Hamilton brought a lot of new subscribers in the wheelhouse as well. Um, and so I think that it's a recognition that we, we've got to ramp up the content. But you know, I do want to make one point. Bob Iger said something which I thought was, I thought was kind of a subtle dig at Netflix. Um, it was sort of like, we're about the quality, not quantity. So I think that was sort of his way of saying, listen, we're not just going to throw stuff up on the streamer, like every like five new episodes a day. Because as you have pointed out in the past, a lot of Netflix oftentimes suffers quality-wise. It looks like it's shot on the cheap and it's something that's just thrown together because they just need stuff on the platform. Yeah. And I thought that was sort of like, it's like we're not going to rush things out just to get things out. We know that you trust us as a brand. We're not going to just throw up stuff up there. Now, of course, are they going to have misses? Absolutely. It's, nobody's perfect. But well, and from, and from, Bob Iber, from Bob Iger's mouth to Disney's feet, you know, they're going to heavily invest on these really great classic high-end um, shows from the past, Turner and Hooch, Three Men and a Baby. I mean, on, I'm saying that sarcastically, obviously, because like these are not the Disney classics that that are, that have played out over and over. No, and over. I mean, the reinvestment in these old things are yeah. clearly just trying to reuse old scripts and trying to get new viewership. Well, they're, they're mining the, the you know they're mining the 21st century Fox purchase. They talked a lot about Night at the Museum. They're going to do an animated version of that. There's Ice Age, ten. Hi. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know they're really going to look at those as well, and I understand it that you know this has obviously forced them to really kind of push to get as much produced as possible. Yeah. Um, but again, to, they just they have to be aware that they're one of the few places that actually has a brand. And and, and I'll go again, go back to the content maker. You you have to recognize this is a huge opportunity. I mean, the current strategy is just spend, 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 make, 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 and they're going to need makers. They're going to need people with pitches, ideas, production companies. They have to spend this money somewhere if that's the current race, and it's not going to last forever. This is a, a gold rush in a new area, yep. and they're going to go crazy this way. If you're sitting on your hands for the next five years, you're crazy, or you're just not a content maker. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about how. You know, even though there's been a lot of disruption and a lot of, uh, you know, change, rapid change in the industry over the course of the last nine or 10 months, a lot of this is going to be good for a content creator because there's going to be so much more ability to, uh, to, to have places to get your content made. And I was thinking about this earlier today, you know, with sort of this shift and with what more Warner Media moving their entire slate onto the streamer as well, day and date with the theaters. Uh, I think this also gives an opportunity for some original storytellers to potentially break through. Um, the the window strategy that sort of had been beholden to the, the industry for so long, which is now breaking down, was really a lot of the reason why you didn't see a lot of original content because they couldn't necessarily afford 
to produce movies that didn't have a built-in audience. Um, and now with the ability to sort of have the streamer as well as a theater option available, there is potential to maybe take a little bit more of a risk. Now, I don't know what the financials break out in terms of what you make on a streamer versus what you make in theatrical. And obviously you're gonna make more money in theatrical when you release it, but it might not necessarily need to have a huge opening weekend to be a profit maker. And I think that is where there's an opportunity here um, for a more original storytelling. I mean, that was sort of the thing that kind of struck me about sort of the live action presentation of Disney, to your point. A lot of it was deep reaching into the sort of uh, um, IP well and grabbing as much as they could that really already had a brand attached to it versus actually having to come up with an original story. Which, you know, to me, I think is where the opportunity is. Um, and I think, you know, just remaking a lot of things from the 80s and 90s is not a sustainable strategy. Uh, or an animation, an animated property, making it live action. Well, clearly the audience, clearly the public wants it because they're all making money. But at the end of the day, it's like, I think we also have to think a little longer term and eventually that well is going to run dry. So it'll be good to sort of be able to sort of tap in sort of more original content. And I'm hopeful that because there's so much money flowing into these streamers and in terms of, you know, them just needing it, I think it's going to be a really great time, as you said. Totally. Content <laughs> and who knows, maybe Steve Gutenberg could get a, a reboot yeah. on his career. <laughs> maybe, with, uh, maybe dragging out three men and a baby. A, he might have a cameo, he and Tom and Ted. <laughs> no, right on. It's gonna be, uh, I, may, I have a feeling it's gonna be a, a little bit of a twist on three three men living together. Yeah, uh, in twenty twenty, a little bit of a different uh, flavor than three men. What was released in early late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different issue. Yeah. Uh, all right. So um, yeah, Disney Investor Day is great, and you know, thank God now we know what Cream Daniels does. It was made so again being sarcastic. We have yeah. clearly we don't know what that guy. I does. still don't really know what his. I, I mean, I, I understand what his role is, but. The way it was presented, when he was, his appointment was announced, it was like, well, we'll make, it'll make more sense after Investor Day. I, no. I still don't really know. He, he was great. I thought he did a great job sort of, you know, projecting a very sort of calm manner, despite all that sort of under his purview, per supposedly. Yeah. But I still don't really understand, like, it seems to me that he's the guy who just tells the content creators where their stuff's going to live based on all the information he has before him, but that doesn't seem to me to be that big of a deal. You know like, what he's gonna be? He's gonna be the scapegoat because uh, we just saw this thing play out um, and things are getting pretty juicy the way uh, uh, Warner Brothers rolled out their thing and just saying, hey, we've decided where it's all gonna go. It's gonna go sit there on the uh, on, on HBO Max and holy cow, did it start a firestorm. Yes. So now, so if Disney, they'll just blame him and fire him and move on, and that way. Yeah, I mean, let's the studio yeah. small. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, we I, I pointed this out last week, not to toot my own horn, but there was one person I really didn't want to be going into the weekend, and that was Toby Emmerich. And I think he really had a rough weekend, and you know, given the articles that came out this week from Christopher Nolan, basically calling HBO Max the worst service. Um, and, you know, Dennis uh, Villeneuve, the director of Dune, you know, playing his own piece, Richard Lovett, um, uh, it, you know, all the guys coming out and just blasting it. And, you know, it, 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 I, I think from, it makes some sense from an economic standpoint, economic standpoint, standpoint of view, um, just because of the nature of the market right now. Um, but, the fact that they did a lot of it without really reaching out to their talent was 
was, I think, a bit well, of a... Well, it makes me too. Like, they gave Chris Nolan the chance early on. His movie didn't save the right. day. They had to make some kind of reaction to what's there, so... I will give them credit, though, because they're not blinking. Um, I got an email yesterday basically announcing that all these titles were going to be on HBO Max, and there was already a sizzle. So they are not pulling back. They're like, nope, this is what we're doing. This is how we're moving forward. And they did it. And I mean, and, and we'll see how it plays out. Like I said last week, it could turn out to be the most genius move of 2021, or it could end up being an absolute disaster. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who, yeah. Um, what an interesting um, thing that's taking place over there, because the need for Warner Brothers to come up with some, some sort of strategy that's really all they own. They don't really have any other kind of push. They don't have any other leverage to uh, place themselves in the field. And mm -hmm. they have to do something out there. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, uh, if you ask me, it kind of shows uh, Warner's cash position that they're being more reactionary than say the deep pockets of Disney. They have the kind of rich library and the pieces that are there. They're really just trying to play, keep up with the Joneses on this one. Yeah, I think a lot of it, it's a lot of it's driven by the debt load that AT&T has. And They've seen how the Wall Street reacts to Disney Plus and the streamers, and they know that this is a, this is a way to goose the numbers on HBO Max because the, the narrative is starting to be written that H the launch of HBO Max was a bit of a failure. And they need to really sort of prove that this is going to be a sustainable model for them. Um, the stock itself didn't necessarily jump sky high when they announced this. Um, so I don't think there's necessarily, uh, people are necessarily convinced this is going to be a success. Um, it's definitely, it raised some eyebrows. Um, but I think the other interesting point about this is um, Richard Rushfeld, who writes a, a, a newsletter called The Angler, and those of you who know who he is, if you don't know who he is, I just Googling and subscribe. It's a great newsletter. He's got a lot of inside info. Um, he made it, he sent out an interesting piece today that basically said there are really two studios left that are invested in a theatrical experience, and that's Universal and Disney. Um, Warner Media is out for 2021. We don't know what's going to happen now with Sony and Paramount. Arguably, they've been selling their, their 2020 slate to the streamers. Hmm. But what are they going to do in 2021? And with Paramount Plus coming down the pike, that probably means that'll be where Paramount will feed. Or will they take advantage of the fact that there's going to be a bidding war for content in 2021 and just keep selling because they're making a lot of money. And they may make more money selling it than they would have made in a theatrical release. So yeah, just being the outsource company that's doing it. Yeah. All yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 it's really interesting to see how we'll see how this all shakes out and Warner media. So this is a temporary thing, but I don't really know if you can put this back in the bottle, genie back in the bottle. It's out. Um, people are going to get used to seeing movies at home now. Um, and as I said, as I've been saying for a long time, they've been not going to the movies for nine months. They've adjusted to it. Now, I know there are surveys that say that once the theaters reopen, people are going to rush back to the movies. I think people will go back to the movies. Rush? Mm, I don't know. It's not like it's going to be a gun you can shoot off and say, as of this day, no one's going to be afraid anymore. And they're just going to start running to the theaters. Yeah. I don't, it's going to take a little while to work yeah. this thing out, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and uh, kind of what I've been hearing uh, this whole episode a little bit is, that the numbers that we're used to, the theatrical numbers that we're used to, the viewership numbers that we're used to, the type of content uh, visibility and viewership that we're used to, you know, it's all going to change. Um, this idea of perpetual content spreads out the, the audience even more. It's really all long tail models that everyone's really playing out. So launch it soon and then just play it forever. 
but there's only so many viewing hours in a day and the viewers cannot figure out where, if they can't figure out where to find the content, how to, how to play it. And those issues that we keep talking about here, the we'll say what to watch problem. Um, but also like the numbers are not going to show up the same way they were. Mm. It's almost like, you know, when cable came into the television world, there'll never be a television show meets, meets the numbers of mash because it just doesn't have the concentration it used to have. Yeah. Theatrical is taking the same kind of hit here and the studios are going to have to start changing what, what is valuable to them. Yeah. I mean, the other, I mean, you look at Wonder Woman 1984, which is the first one which will launch on Christmas day. I mean, to get the number of subs that they would have made, what they would have made theatrically had they released it, it's, it's, an, it's a ridiculous number. And it's hard to believe that that's even a realistic goal. Um, but I think it's really about driving as many subs as they can um, to just build up the service as best they can. And this is the one way they, they think that they felt they could do that. I think it's interesting about going back to the idea that there's only two studios left. I mean, there has to be some strategy being played out there and um, I, think you, I think you've said it before. I'll, I'll back it up as if you did, because I think this is a smart idea and that somebody's going to step in and buy another studio. The oh, studios yeah. that, are, that have, don't have as deep pockets are going to be bought up by one of the big players and a Google or an Apple showing up and buying a studio in place. Um, I, it's it's going to happen, right? It's almost I feel like somebody's going to come in and buy the studio and the studios are going to start buying the exhibitors. Um, the chess pieces are definitely playing out that way. Maybe um, maybe Apple will step in and have a theatrical distribution, theatrical studio model for Apple Apple TV Plus because well, Apple, they, TV yeah, Plus I mean, anymore. Apple seems to be the 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 best tar, you know the prime you know, buyer who's motivated the most I think right now because their content's not that great, no. their pipeline isn't exactly bursting. Um, so you know you look at somebody like Sony. Um, who want Sony corporate who wants to get out of the, the movie biz doesn't really want to keep playing in that sandbox. Oh, I like that move where uh, Apple buys Sony, like a tech company replacing another tech company in the content media game. Sony had VHS, Apple has iPhone. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting because Sony doesn't, or you could potentially see a partnership because Sony doesn't have a D to C service anymore because they closed what they had on Xbox. Potentially, there could be a partnership where Apple TV Plus becomes the exclusive D2C distributor of Sony movies. Sure. And that could potentially be something that could work out, and that could be the, the, the first step on a way to Maybe a- Maybe Apple just buys all of Sony, stuff. all the technology, all their old IP. No, I'm the not saying that. I'm just talking about the studio. But <laughs> if they're going to buy the whole company, that's a possibility, too. You never know. They're, they're worth more than the United States. Everything's upside down, right is left, dog and cats living together. It's insane. <laughs> Thank you, Bill Murray. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, totally. I, I can kind of see that thing playing out. And by the way, let's just mark this time because when it does come true, I wanted to be able to say, look, Keith called this moment in uh, in 2020 when we in December 2020 when we can totally see how this these pieces are playing themselves yep. out. Yep, yep, yep. We'll think we're so smart then. Um, well, that's really great. I think you know there's so much stuff happening right now, and I my encouragement again is like this disruption is all opportunity. And early on, when we first started talking, I felt like we were trying to uh, fit the pieces together to tell people, encourage people why these changes are really good if you're a content maker to see the opportunity. And now the the big players, the studios, are actually stepping up and giving us the words and the strategy that you can easily fit into. Mm -hmm. So it's a good day to be in the content making game. You just have to understand what they're looking for. 
yeah. and always kind of reverse engineer the content. You have to know why you're making it, uh, who wants to watch it, therefore where it's going to go. I feel like I'm doing Kareem Daniels job for him. Why, <laughs> where, and when, right? Yep, exactly. So understand that entire place. And then of course, in the marketing and sales part, we're going to have to start looking at different numbers, recognizing the opportunities that are there and know how to play the new game. It can't just be about the, the prettiest show on the planet. Yeah. No one's going to watch trailers at the, at the level that we used to and consume them the way they used to. There's too much distribution happening mm -hmm. um, that anyone can kind of co concentrate or focus in some certain areas. Yeah. Well, Keith, I'm going to leave you back to your cocktail. Well, by the way, what is it that you're drinking? Uh, dark and Stormy. Oh, I love Dark and Stormy. You have to make me one of those with our okay. new swag that people are going to send us after yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Actually, tell, uh, tell us who's joining us next week. Oh, yes. Robin Geisen will be rejoining us next week. Um, and we'll be doing a sort of recap of the year and what, what, we, what we all think is coming in 2021. So do not uh, miss it. And we love Guy, uh, Robin. She's one of our first guests. Yep. Uh, and she comes from that talent background. So if you're watching this episode, you have questions you want to ask or ideas, uh, you can definitely direct message us, play, um, uh, send us something on LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever, email. We'll read that and see if we can throw those messages before Robin. She's on the inside, although she's not going to tell us the secrets, even though she knows. <laughs> uh, we'll try to get something out of her. One yeah, way we'll see if we can get something out of her anyway. Maybe we should uh, make some dark and stormy for her. Maybe we can there you go. Yep, yep. <laughs> all right. Thank you all again for watching Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you this week. We can't do it without our behind the scenes people, Lydia, who is recording it this week and making sure it's being distributed, even though we're running late. So um, Lydia, thank you for the hard work you're doing. Um, thank you all for joining us this week. If you like what you see, please subscribe to this channel. Um, there's more to come and more ideas we have going out there. And Keith, enjoy the Christmas shopping. Whatever little time's left, make sure you get out there and uh, get that done. I'll mask up and get it done. Trust me. <laughs> All right. Until next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you next week.